Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. And I always need eggs. <laughs> uh, I'm here with the polymorphous, polymorphous, <laughs> oh my God, I can't say it. Uh, polymorphously, uh, perispe- anyway, whatever, I blew it. <laughs> and we are uh, chatting about the films of Woody Allen. Um, Definitely. And talking about how much... Uh, how much we really enjoyed them. I yeah, I mean, I want to say surprisingly, but I after one or two of these, and you sort of get the you get the wavelength of Woody Allen and sort of what he his style of filmmaking and his style of comedy. Um, these movies are delightful from beginning to end. And I don't think I would have said that prior to having watched them. I would have said, oh, I know what Woody Allen's all about. And I think, Jason, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room here is Woody Allen, the man, and then Woody Allen, the artist. And if you'd like to hear the many conversations between <laughs> Jason and myself about art versus the artist, um, I think we're, this is the third or fourth time we've talked about a controversial figure like this uh, or written about one. Um, for you know before so spoiler alert for this conversation we're going to not talk about we're not going to talk too much or concentrate too much on Woody Allen the man but rather Woody Allen the filmmaker and the artist because that's truly where um there's a lot of good stuff there um and a lot of good things to talk about yeah it is a challenge to talk about him without talking about um the larger picture around him because yep. he is a extremely problematic figure extremely and, and you know we've talked about this so many times you and i um i feel very kind of compromised talking about him because i've always been a big fan of his work mm. and i feel like middle period woody allen is about as good as filmmaking gets yep and it yep. really has completely influenced my approach to appreciating film some yeah. people talk about kubrick or uh i don't know Hitchcock. john carpenter is being hugely influential directors to them pick whoever whatever auteur you want to choose mm. um but to me the woody allen movies have really shaped the, the way i see the world yeah i that that's that's well said that's that's very well said and hard not to argue can't really argue with that because you know we're going to talk about annie hall today and hannah and her sisters but we're going to hit on a lot of allen movies and i think one of the things that you really understand watching his movies is um they're all about human beings there's a funny line in stardust memories where aliens uh come down and they ask him he, he's trying to ask them about god and the meaning of life and stuff and the aliens basically say we liked your movies the early stuff when it was funnier yeah if you like the and early, I, funnier movies the yeah. earlier funnier movies and i think that the key here with woody allen is if aliens did come down and they wanted to know about what are human beings like, how complicated they are, all their uh, joys and all their failings, you would do well. Uh, you could do, you couldn't do better than watching a Woody Allen movie because it is really, they're all very humanistic, very much about the behavior of people and how complicated human beings are but how wonderful they are as well. 
Yeah, often they're about how wonderful people are. Uh, sometimes, sometimes that is uh, in his darker moments is something he moves mm -hmm. away from. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I think he is. He's especially challenging because so many of his movies are kind of seem to be autobiographical. Seem to be being the key word. You mm -hmm. you just watch Manhattan, for example. And it's impossible to separate him, Alan the creator, from Alan the person. And really that movie kind of shows the huge uh, complexity of trying to analyze him in that way, right? Because yeah. it's a glorious movie. It's beautiful. Yeah. The music is astonishing. The cinematography is some of the greatest cinematography in the history of film. Gordon Willis. Gordon Willis, right? You never, yeah. There's no one better than Gordon Willis. You at the it. same time, at his heart is this incredibly compromised uh, plot line about a 17 year old girl and everyone's sort of signing off on the fact that this i think he says he's 46 uh 46 you know middle-aged man is dating a 17 year old and you know to make matters worse there's a scene where he picks her up outside her high school when she's when at the end of the day so there's a lot of stuff especially in manhattan that is I like your word compromised but also Manhattan has some of the most, you know, the, the art is there. There's no question that there's craft in Manhattan. Um, every shot is amazing. Every, you know, setting is incredible. Um, but I think moving away from Manhattan as much as, uh, you know, that will come up. And I do have sort of a- yeah, we'll come back to it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I do have a way to talk about some, you know, about the, um, about the, why am I, I'm Muriel Hemingway is the actress, mm -hmm. but who's the, what's the name of the character in, uh, it's not Sandy. I'm sorry. sorry I'm, I don't have it at the... Yeah, 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 I'm blanking on the character's name, but anyhow. Oh, she's Tracy. Story, Tracy, thank you. Um, but long, I have a way to sort of talk about that, but long story short, there is, you know, uh, if if Annie Hall is a movie you have not seen, stop listening to us right now. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. Most people have Amazon Prime because they're addicted to Amazon like everyone else. Um, watch Annie Hall. It is 90 minutes, less than 90 minutes, and it is some of the most delightful, uh, sharp, uh, experimental in some ways mm -hmm. filmmaking that you will ever see and it is funny as hell and even if Woody Allen bothers you as a human being uh he bothers everyone as a human being I think even Woody Allen um Annie Hall is just a delight it's one of the most exciting charming interesting movies out there and um you know I always try to come up with some sort of line so I don't have to give away my name at the beginning, Jason, but um, <laughs> Annie Hall book is bookended by these two uh, classic, you know, nowadays, I think maybe they would, I don't know if they would qualify for dad jokes, but they're just definitely, <laughs> you know, you know, Jewish, you know, schmaltzy kind of, you know, a certain kind of comedian would tell us so they're bad jokes. Like and, it starts with like a Seinfeld style cold open. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Talk about that experimental, just throwing everything at the audience at once. But uh, it starts with a story about, you know, these two Jewish women are at a restaurant 
And the first woman says, you know, um, the food here is awful. And the second woman says, and such small portions. And such small portions. <laughs> Which is just one of those just, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and then the, it ends with the fact that, it ends with the joke that um, man goes to the psychiatrist, says my brother has, uh, is turned into, is acting like a chicken. And the psychiatrist says, well, why don't you commit him? And the brother says, I can't, I need the eggs. And it's just that, it's that same sort of, that's the joke. And whether you think that's funny or not, you know, we all need the eggs, you know, at some point. And that's what the whole point of Annie Hall is, is we need these people in our lives. We need these relationships. We need love in our lives in all its complicated, you know, different kinds of um, ways that it, it happens or doesn't happen, or we miss or we complicate or whatever. So you know, Annie Hall and Hannah and her sisters are the two movies we're going to discuss, but it's hard to talk about Woody Allen without just saying, watch all of it. So you here's know. what I'll, here's the, where I'll go with this to first to start with. Go. Um, so uh, in the 60s, Woody Allen was a prominent comedian. We actually see that quite a bit in this film. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he was a touring comedian. He was all over TV. Stand he wrote for TV shows. He was a uh, played at college campuses he made a handful of movies where he basically was uh playing the, the neurotic jew part yeah like in the um 1960s casino royale parody film um and so he was like this celebrity and he was a, kind of this famous celebrity actually jerry seinfeld's a great analogy to him yeah, perfect. perfect right comment. he was just this kind of persona kind of comedian New and then like, all, and like so many persona comedians he made his first movie uh which was take the money and run 1969 i have a story about that and i'll get to that in a moment um he made a handful of movies himself that were kind of these very silly goofy movies farces yep. farces is a great way of putting it yep so he made take the money and run bananas, bananas. Um, play it again sam sleeper love and death so the series of five films that were all kind of just just silly films goofy yeah uh goofy yeah um by the way uh, and this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of my family tied to this because um, <laughs> my dad loved Woody Allen films. And um, okay, so here's the long, slightly longer version of the story. So um, my dad's deep, my dad deeply influenced my sense of humor because my dad loved what he used to call stupid humor. Stupid humor being actually the opposite, like these very silly comedies that just were like inherently just like really hilarious. Like he, he turned me on to Monty Python. He said, here kid, you gotta watch this, this is amazing. And I have a really distinct memory. You know, I was born in 1966. I have a really distinct memory of uh, my dad being up on a Saturday night and there was, he was watching TV and on the TV was Paul Simon in a chicken outfit. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, guy, you gotta come see this. You gotta come see this, this is hilarious. Um, and it was some episode of Saturday Night Live from like 1977 or 78 that dad just thought was the funniest thing ever. So there are scenes in Take the Money and Run where like Alan played, you haven't seen that movie, right? No, that one I missed. Okay, so he is like, he's a he's a cellist in a marching band. And so as the cellist, he has to carry his chair along with him. <laughs> um, so that's the first phase of films where he's doing all these kind of goofy uh, films. 
um, kind of ending with Love and Death, which was kind of a pastiche of, uh, of Russian expressionist films. And then he puts out Annie Hall. And Annie Hall is a huge level up for him. It's uh, like Adam Sandler doing Punch Drunk Love. Suddenly, this guy who was just been this very goofy comedian becomes this man who's creating this world in his film. And Annie Hall is, it's, it's hard to, to now kind of recreate how it hit the zeitgeist of society at the time, because the movie has this, got this fractured feel to it. It jumps back and forth in time. It's got this extremely rich character ensemble. And it's hilarious. And at the center of it is this heart, right? This relationship between uh, Annie and uh, the Keaton character, Alvy is like so rich and interesting. They're such an intriguing couple. They seem so mismatched, but you can see, you get why they're a couple with each other. Of course, you know, they were dating in real life at the time. Um, but there's such a like a, a connection between these people. So I'm sorry, I'm going off on this tangent to say, it's not just a good movie, but you seeing it in context, you can see why it won three or four Academy Awards, why it was Best Picture in 1978. 77. And sorry to correct you. Only reason I say that is because that is when, you know, four-year-old Keith Silva, who couldn't understand you know, awards or whatever. Why didn't Star Wars win? You know, <laughs> Star Wars was the best movie of the year, Dad. Why didn't, what the hell is Annie Hall? You know, but this is, this is the whole thing is that, yes, the 77, uh, Annie Hall wins best picture beating out Star Wars um, to, to win best picture. And now I can sort of see it. I, I understand it. I get it. I'm in the club now. <laughs> um, and hopefully I'm, I'm working all this off on memory from uh, some research earlier. I didn't write it down. I should have written it down. So, you know, send all your hate mail to <laughs> Jason Sachs. Yeah, um, because, you know, Keith Silva does not know that Star Wars, you know, was best picture nominee in 78, 77. But anyhow, but, but anyhow, yeah, it, it's more than just a good movie. Yeah. What was your reaction seeing it for the first time? Uh chagrined that I had waited this long to <laughs> to see this because it is you know one of those film people it, it's a it's it's one of those I don't want to say it's a cultural vegetable but it's definitely one of those movies that everyone says oh you, you know it, oh of course I've seen Andy Hall you've never seen it you know it's one of those kind of you've never seen Andy Hall you know, you get sort of a weird look from your other film nerd friends who may <laughs> yeah. want to uh, report you for not having seen not having seen it. But I get it. I get it off on, on one go. I get it. The thing I found very interesting about it is that, um, you know, having seen Hannah and her sisters, Manhattan, and even, you know, Broadway Danny Rose prior to seeing Annie Hall, it's different in that Alan is being it's very I, I said experimental earlier and the reason I said that is there are things that he does in Annie Hall film things show off things for those out there yeah uh, that 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 would be like oh that's just being that's just showing off but it's using film it's using the language of film to tell the story to basically say it's okay to just break into an animated sequence this movie has everything in it except a musical, you know, number, yeah. Burke, Busby Berkeley musical number. Um, 
there's a wonderful scene that I can't believe more uh, filmmakers didn't just haven't used again, where there are subtitles running under dialogue oh. of what people are thinking rather than what they're saying. Such a brilliant scene. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, somebody else has done it because Annie Hall is hugely influential. Yeah, this is when Woody, and, or when Woody, uh, when Alvy and Annie are yeah, like are bantering f- at her apartment yeah. and they're both trying to sound a little pretentious and they're both kind of judging themselves during the conversation. Yeah. And it's just hilarious. So, it's, so she's like saying some pretentious thing about, what was it? What were they? Anyway. It's about, uh, uh, yeah, adult education. Adult education. And she's like, yeah. oh, I hope I don't sound too pretentious. And he's like, I hope I don't sound too condescending. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And yeah. going for like a couple minutes like that. Yeah. But then there's another great scene uh, in the movie where he walks into his uh, elementary school classroom Mm-hmm. as an adult and he says you know it's one of those things where he says you know well when i was in school blah 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 and they cut to a little kid with glasses um doesn't really look like you know baby woody allen but it's supposed to be him and then he actually the character of alvy singer walks into the walks into the scene and he starts narrating he says see that kid over there see this kid over here <laughs> and and I then wonder he what does, they're doing today. Right, I'm right, into right. leather. <laughs> right, right. I'm a heroin addict. I'm a heroin addict. <laughs> yeah. Or methadone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I run a trucking company. Yeah. Right, right. And then later on, he does the same thing again, except he walks into a family dinner, like his family's dinner. Um, and he's like, see, that's my aunt over there. And that's my uncle over here. And this is this guy. Is it Jack Dimes or or, or or whatever? Johnny Nichols. Johnny Nichols, thank you. <laughs> Who I swear actually reappears in his radio days. Oh, okay. So yeah, Johnny Nichols is there. And it's just, it's You'll just delightful. You'll never forget my name, kid. Johnny right. Nichols. Johnny Five Cents. You'll remember right. me. Well, the uh, genius of that film too, or that scene too, is he's with uh, Annie Hall's family. And they're this waspy family that you can imagine living on the end of Long Island or something. And they're all sitting there very happily eating their meal and, and no one interrupts each other. And they're just like very calm and, and peaceful. And then the Jews are like arguing, <laughs> and talk, all talking at the same time. And, and there's all this just action at the table. And they get into these deep conversations, these shallow conversations all at the same time. It's also my family growing up, by the okay. way. Oh, great. Wonderful. My, fa- my family growing up was old, real Jews. Old, real Jews. Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually uh, get annoyed that like I'd be out with my friends and like they'd get annoyed that I would be interrupting them. But anyway, um, yeah, I just like a brilliant scene to kind of convey that. Right, right. Yeah, that 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 split screen is when you, you know, he's talking about family dinners. It's the the scene where he goes home is when they go and it's uh Annie Hall and Max, his friend slash therapist they go to visit his home that is under the ra- roller coaster on Con- Coney Island. Yeah, Coney, yeah Island. Coney Island. Yeah, under the Coney Island roller coaster. The comet or um, whatever it's called, yeah. Right, exactly. And, you know, they go there and they look at, they, they're, they're sort of, he's walking them through his memories, but it's stepping into a memory, which is really, you know, a, just a crazy genius idea. And then all of a sudden, it's a scene from, uh, there's an animated scene with uh-huh. a cartoon, the cartoon Woody Allen, and uh, you see the wicked, wicked witch in Snow White, who looks a lot like Diane Keaton, 
Um, and turns out that that was the first movie that Woody Allen's mother ever brought him to was Snow White. And that's where he fell in love with movies. But it's this total like surprise in the middle of the movie that I did not expect that you would see this, you know, animated sequence, classic, you know, hand-drawn animated sequence of, you know, talking about this movie. And then it's got all the, all the neurotic Woody Allen Jewish intellectual, I can't remember what he says to Carol Kane about socialist, um, you know, whatever, 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 um, you know, New York Jew, as uh-huh. he goes on and on and on about it. And, you know, it's all of that is in there, but it never ever like gets in the way. And you're basically watching you know, what Jerry Seinfeld would have been a good comp, Jason, in the 70s, if Jerry Seinfeld had come first, because everything that Woody Allen did is sort of, you know, ripped off from Seinfeld, Seinfeld ripped off. Well, it's it's fine, because... Uh... Right, right, right. No, no, no. It's but all it's, lovely. It, uh, it, yeah. it was just like so much thrown at the screen. And it's so much like this. This is the, the beauty of a movie as a poem and a TV show as a, as a, as a novel. Because the movie is like it throws all these things at you. None of them overstay their welcome at all. They're all nope. just these things that just are like add to the experience. And he's in and out in like 96 minutes. Yeah. You also didn't mention something that I'm very sensitized to, um, okay. which is um what I call the Allen montage. Okay. In many of his best movies at the end of the film, he has this montage that replays the key relationship in the movie. Mm. And, you know, we, we see that in this film, right? We see the, the relationship between um, Alvy and Annie grow, transform. We get that yeah. beautiful lobster scene. We get the right. uh, scene at the, the, the tennis rack, the tennis uh, court. You know, yeah. all, the, all the scenes kind of uh, play up and then we see him come to a conclusion. And um, he, he uses that in a number of movies. It's in, it's in Hannah, for example. Yep. It's in uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors in a beautiful way. Uh, it, it's in many of his best films. Uh, and it always feels like this is him summing up the movie in a, a way that's very particularly his. It's one of his signature kind of gestures. And it, you, know, you, you get this montage and then you see them kind of just get together, not reunite, but just get together. And we see them kind of happily kind of go their different directions. A lot of people complain about the ending. They feel like the ending's unsatisfying. Maybe because the couple doesn't doesn't last. Maybe because, um, you know, Alvy isn't happy at the end. But to me, it feels so satisfying. Yeah, when we were texting about this prior to recording, you know, I, I said, it's a very grown up movie. Yeah. Um, and you said mature and you, you, you know, mature is the right word. And it's, it's not a coming of age movie, but it's a coming of maturity movie. It's where, you know, you get to a certain point in a relationship or you get to a certain point in a, in uh, in relationship. I mean, love relationships. I don't mean friendships or whatever, but you get to a certain point and it changes it, you know, some things become more important than others. There's, there's a, there's discussion about sex in Annie Hall that is mm-hmm. frank, but it's also very, um, it's less about, you know, coitus, the physical act of love, than it is about um, intimacy. The connection and, between them, yeah. Right, right. When it the falls away, that, yeah. 
right? When it falls away, it falls away. And, you know, they can't really come back from that. There's also a sense in Annie Hall that, you know, it is really about relationships because he says he's had two marriages and two divorces. And even when he has broken up with her at some point, he's seeing other people. So Alvy Singer is not someone who he needs relationships and he needs lots of relationships. Yeah. And I don't think all of them necessarily depend on sex, you know, or, but they definitely depend on intimacy and two people being together, sharing a life. That is definitely a big thing that I see in Woody Allen movies is relationships between men and women. Yeah. Absolutely. And all the different kinds of relationships and the complicatedness and all of it. Yeah. The, yeah. That's it. Exactly. It's the complicatedness of it. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things I think is delightful about, um, and, and, and I see this more so in Hannah and even in Manhattan uh, a little bit more, not so much in Annie Hall, but, Woody Allen is a romantic and in the end it's not a romantic in the sense of relationships he's a romantic for human beings because it's hope and that's the one thing Manhattan and Hannah and her sisters Hannah and her sisters more so than Manhattan ends on a very hopeful note that it, it even though you know, the existential dread and the fear of death and the what's it all mean and all that, you know, in the end, he comes to the realization almost every time that life is worth living. And, well, that, and, and, and that's why I love that film because uh, it really Hannah and her sisters. Us, Hannah and her sisters, yeah. Yeah. More than any other of his other films, to my mind, um, he wrestles with, with uh, the bigger questions and comes to a conclusion that I find deeply, deeply moving. And that last line of the film, uh, like always practically reduces me to tears. Yeah, yeah. You don't see it coming either. Because he's it's... gone through such a life journey to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so, um, so should we move on from Annie Hall? We've talked a lot. Sure, about we can it. talk about it. It's just okay. about Hannah and her sisters. Go ahead. Okay. Well, let, let me let me uh, let's let's move ahead here because um, so Annie Hall I think starts phase two of Vanellope's career in my mind, which runs for roughly uh, twelve years or so, from seventy seven to the late uh, the late eighties. Uh, I'd say probably up to um, either Crimes and Misdemeanors or Alice. Yeah, which ah, is just a magnificent film yeah. also. Um, so next film he makes is Stardust Memories, which I think is underrated. Um, the kind of classic, um, you know, existential dread of what now that I'm a, a big star, what does that really mean? We like your older, funnier movies. The aliens come down <laughs> yeah. from above to uh, complain about him. Uh, it's just, I think it's just a lot more fun than it, than it should be. Uh, then he does a Midsummer's Night Sex comedy, which is inoffensive. Sorry? No, I lost you for a second. Uh, okay. Uh, but that's okay. I heard inoffensive, which is exactly what Stardust Memories is. And it's the beginning of this Woody Allen 
the man, the person, the filmmaker, rather than Woody Allen, the 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 celebrity. I'm sorry, and I went out of order. So the next film he makes is Interiors. Interiors, right. Which also I think is a little underrated. A little bit of a challenging film, definitely uh, uh, him kind of reaching for something that's not quite there, but the kind of movie you want a filmmaker to try to make, I think. Yeah, and his, his you know, his Bergman moment. Yeah, his Bergman pastiche. Yes. And then we get Manhattan. Right. So why don't we why don't we talk about Manhattan? You want to talk about Manhattan? Yeah, let's talk um, about that next because so go ahead because uh, we'll lead it. That'll help us lead up to some of uh, the, the sure. Music. So Especially. tell me, tell me about Manhattan, since you have more of the Woody Allen uh, experience than I do. Well, I think it's a glorious film, and I saw it twice in the theaters, mm. and it is an extraordinary film to see in the theaters, because you have this magnificent music, right? Oh, to, to the common man, right? Gershwin yep. is playing over everything. Bum, 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 yeah. Right. And there's fireworks lighting above New York City. And New York City just feels like this magical, mystical place. Yeah. This film is made in 1979, right? New York, this is the height <laughs> of what we think of as New York in decline. But he's creating right. this film that's about how much he loves New York City, right? And it's like glorifying this, this amazing city. And it just kind of seeps into your bones, this passion, right? How many movies can you think of that are about a love for a city? Yeah. A love for a real city. Yeah. Although it's kind of a fictional city in the way he portrays it, right? Yeah. Um, so that part of it to me is just gorgeous, right? Um, and the adult relationships in the film, I think, are also just very interesting. Um, where it really, and, you know, it's kind of the end of his uh, work with Diane Keaton. Um, yep. I think it's kind of symbolic in the way that he and Keaton are a broken up couple in this film. Or getting back together, breaking up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the whole story with Tracy, the Marielle Hemingway character, is just so... Icky. It's the reason I haven't come back to this film as much <laughs> as I probably should, because I just find it so hard to watch. Yeah, it's definitely hard to watch when you know what you know now about Woody Allen, and it was always there. And this is the one thing that I will say where I think the art and the artist thing sort of collide, and that is that this is this is where, and I think I've talked about this book, this is where that Martin Scorsese comment about Marvel movies aren't movies, they're uh, roller, they're, you know, thrill rides or roller coasters or whatever um this is what he's talking about he's talking about manhattan mm -hmm. you watch manhattan and it's very clear however creepy it is and however off-putting it is woody allen is telling you exactly what he thinks and what he's struggling with and he is clearly um, his character in the movie, uh, Isaac, mm -hmm. is not, he's dating a 17-year-old. He's having sex with a 17-year-old. He's in his mid-40s. He knows it's wrong. He's struggling with it. He's trying to separate himself from her, but he can't. And he's putting himself out there very nakedly and saying, this is what I, as a person, as an artist, am trying to deal with and trying to say something about, 
even though I know it's wrong, I still have this kink, this quirk, this whatever. And that is, that is what that, that is what Scorsese is talking about when he says that the, the mark of the filmmaker, the statement, what this artist is trying to say, however creepy and wrong it is and morally reprehensible, this is what artists do is they put themselves out there to try to say, this is what I have to say about this particular topic. Not that anyone asked, but this is what I am going through and what I'm trying to work through. And it's all up there on the screen. And whatever happens to him later as a human being, as, as a person, as a celebrity, you know, it's, it's right there in Manhattan. He, he pulls no punches. He tells you exactly where he's at. And that is something that you can't say about any sort of mass produced, um, movie you know and that goes for everything that's why jordan peele's movies are so exciting is because they have something to say even if you don't like what they're saying jordan peele aside speaking here for manhattan they have (laughs) something to say he he has something to say right or wrong and that's what that's what i think people struggle with when they say yeah but you know shouldn't star wars have won best picture in 1977 um you know shouldn't infinity gauntlet or whatever (laughs) the second movie is shouldn't that have won best picture everybody loved it it was great it doesn't it may have been great you may have enjoyed it but it didn't have anything to say other than what it said which was you know not to trash your your marvel friends and your other podcast jason but what does it really say you know heroes well and, and and to go just a little further there um to go back to annie hall uh, both Annie Hall and Star Wars are tourist films, right? They're both driven yeah. by a singular vision, vision. from yep. the director. Absolutely. And they both are classics in their own way. But yep. one is a, a film about, that's essentially an escapist fable. Yep. And the other is very much about real life that kind of reflects um, the world we live in. Yeah. Now, if, this, if the two films had come out in the 80s, it's a little hard to imagine Annie Hall coming out in the 80s the way it did. But if they'd come out in the 80s, the, the decision might have been different. Um, because one of the other points I was going to make is that um, Manhattan came out in 79 and it still feels like a 70s film. Yeah. It's, a, it's an auteurist film. Absolutely. Um, and it's this kind of self-lacerating auteurist film that's just kind of, uh, yeah, as you're saying, like reveals them kind of nakedly. Yeah. But and I just... It's a beautiful film. Yeah, it's one of the things that I have been thinking about a lot lately in other situations, which is I'm a craft person. In comics, the first thing I think about is the art. I don't need dialogue. I could ignore everything that, that every word that's written on the page. I'm there for the art. I'm there for how the, the artist tells the story, you know, panel to panel. Um, I'm a craft person in that way. Manhattan is a craft movie. It is all about the black and white cinematography, again, by our boy Gordon Willis. Impeccable framing, unbelievable shots, even the boring shots, even him waiting outside the school for Tracy is a gloriously composed image and just well thought out and everything, aside from all the shots, like you're saying, the skyline of Manhattan at night with the fireworks, and the famous scene 
with them uh, in the early morning with the bridge. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is, you know, stunning. unbelievable. Yeah, stunning. Exactly. Um, Annie Hall, though, also, you know, Annie Hall, he sort of shows his hand a little bit because his friend Max, when he gets him out of jail at the end of Annie Hall, um, his friend Max is with twin 16 year olds yeah and 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 it's one of these things where you're like oh wow max what a creep and he's supposed to be a creep he's supposed to be this you know vapid uh you know this new york intellectual who sold out and went to hollywood where nobody thinks about anything and from new york where everybody thinks about everything too much and alan is having is having a go at both those people. He, as much as he's a part of this world of the socialist, you know, New York Jew, for want of a better phrase, he has not contempt for these people, but he doesn't let them off the hook. He's he's very um, he's very honest with and very you know self lacerating when it comes to you know that kind of intellectualism and what it does to a person and how you think too much and how you don't enjoy life. Um, and he, so- Yeah, he's making fun of his own pretensions. Exactly, exactly. He's making fun of himself. He's making fun of his own culture, his own people. I mean, those scenes with um, uh, Grammy Grammy Hall and Annie uh-huh. Hall's family, the dinner you were talking about, and Christopher Walken, go figure, as right. Dwayne. <laughs> um, and those two scenes cut side by side, he's he's taking the piss on both of them, on the wasps and also on the Jews. And he's he's an equal opportunity satirist and com- he's a comedian. And comedians are supposed to, you know, make you laugh at things and point out the absurdity of things. And he definitely does on both sides. And so when I was watching Annie Hall, I was like, oh, there's the teenage girl, you know, uh, nymphette kind of thing again, and sort of just as a tossed off line. And I yeah. think if you didn't know anything about Alan or like me, you hadn't seen Manhattan first and had to deal with Tracy, you would sit there and you would think to yourself, oh, God, you wouldn't even think of it like, oh, so this guy's a creep. He's, you know, an older man messing around with teenage girls. And so, Again, Alan is saying something. It may not be what you like. It may not be anything that any of us want to deal with or talk about, but it says something about the person, even if it says this guy is a creep. <laughs> I find it really interesting. He moves away from it as, as, a, as an explicit concept in his movies for quite a while. Right. Because after this, you know, he he's, interiors um, and the other and yeah. Stardust Memories, the other things you talked about. Right. Exactly. Zelig. Um, yeah. which you know another brilliant movie uh unmistakably his um my daughter was talking about how she was taught that they they watched that in school to teach hmm. them about american history oh um, wow uh purple rose of cairo which is uh yep. unbelievably under underrated movie um you know so okay so, no 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 all i was going to say is so yeah. as much as there is this 16 year old girl and the situation with Woody Allen, Woody Allen is who he is. Um, he pulls no punches. 
the most beautiful line comes at the end of Manhattan and Tracy is the one who delivers it. So in the plot of the story, right, he he's dating this girl, but she gets an opportunity to be uh, act in London on you know, the London stage and be schooled in the London Academy of Arts and Theater. And she plans to go to England to study. Her parents are already there working on housing. And it's a last minute doorknob moment where Woody Allen shows up and says, all that stuff I told you about going to London, don't do that. I want to stay with you. I want you to stay with me. I want you to stay here. And she says, I can't do that. I've already made this commitment. And so he gets to have his cake and eat it too, in which she gets to decide to, she still goes to England. She doesn't stay with him, but she delivers this line at the end. And it's, you know, it's, it's about hope again. Um, give me a minute, Jason, tell me what you think while I look up this line so I can get it right. I, I, I saved it earlier. It's a really interesting point because, you know, so much of the narrative around Woody Allen is around kind of the victimization. Yep. And the yep. Uh, kind of lack of uh, ability to affect what's happening to you. And uh, yeah, he gives her, he gives Tracy the line that really shows that she has um, self-actualization, that she does have control over things. In fact, she matures as a result of this, uh, through this relationship. She's come to know a little bit more about the world. Now, this is a little bit of me falling into the Allen kind of mindset trap because, you know, mm -hmm. he is essentially saying, look, you know, I may have slept with this young girl, but right. she's gotten, she, her life has improved because of she's me. She's wiser, right, yeah. She's wiser because of me. I can't believe how much you taught me. Right. Uh, uh, it's a little bit like the uh, relationship with uh, Max Van C Von Cita character yeah. with uh, Barbara Hershey and Hannah and her sisters. Right. Uh, but um, she does have she does have this kind of empowerment. Gosh, uh, and, and uh, um, I'm going to say uh, actually, um, to me, all roads lead to Hannah and her sisters. There are so many elements in Annie Hall, in. Yeah. Uh, Danny Rose, to some extent, certainly in, in uh, Manhattan, that lead to Hannah and her sisters. Uh, and I just think that movie is just the apex of his career. So I found I found the line. So it comes okay. to the very end. And, you know, she says to him, uh, not everybody gets corrupted. You have to have a little faith in people. And yeah. that is just unbelievable. That's that's the line that Mariel. That's and then the movie cuts and it's over and it's done. And you just you have to have, have faith to have in people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that same line about you know I need the eggs. I need I need the relationships. I need this in my life. So getting to you know burying the lead here, Hannah and her sisters is an incredibly. You want to talk about mature. It is an incredibly mature piece of art, of filmmaking, just the stories that interlock. And again, it's all about relationships centering around this woman, Hannah, and her sisters, uh, Lee, who is the middle sister, and the Diane Weist character, who Holly. is Holly. Thank you. Um, and sort of their relationships with men. And I guess the other thing, you know, we can't believe we've gone this far, Jason, and not sort of said, you know, for this guy who's a real creep and maybe not a great human being, but a wonderful artist, he understands women 
and gives roles to women that you just don't see nowadays. Um, so this is a movie that's all about relationships. Yes. Relationships between, uh, so the main character in this film is named Mickey Sachs, which is the name yep. that's in our family. It's my, my aunt on my uh, father's side. Um, and his relationship with everyone in his life, with his parents, who were portrayed so beautifully in this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With his first wife, Hannah, with his with Hannah's uh, new husband, Elliot. Michael Caine. Elliot, Michael Caine would be the best performance of his career for my money. Mm. Um, with uh, Michael Caine's relationship with uh, Hannah, who um, uh, who he, he loves more than he realizes. Right. Um, and his lust after the younger sister, Lee, Barbara Hershey. Yeah, it, it, it's all about these rich relationship. And then it's about uh, Lee's relationship with the uh, character played by Max Van Sydow, uh Frederick. Yes, the, 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 the artist, the tortured artist. The tortured artist <laughs> who won't sell art by the foot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's this just beautiful, like Russian novel in which all these characters are so fully realized and all intertwined and yeah. but the but as if but for a relationship movie that's all about talking and is all about there's a lot that goes on hannah and her sisters is you know you can want it's not boring at all it's fascinating it's hilarious and yep and sad and fascinating and um Human. I really like it really is among my top five films of all time mm -hmm. and it's a movie that like I actually you just heard me a little bit like starting to tear up thinking about some of the scenes in this film um because I just find it such a moving film um I'm not sure where to start with it oh actually so um and and what what's also amazing about this movie is it's just full of so much vividness there's so much life in the film um, as it starts out, uh, the character Woody Allen plays Mickey is um, the producer. So there's a little bit of inside baseball here. Woody Allen is the producer of Saturday Night Live. It actually is Saturday Night Live. Yep. Woody Allen's best friend for a number of years was a woman named Jean Dumanian, who became the producer of Saturday Night Live after uh, Lauren Michaels left, after the original cast went off the show. And um, Gene famously took over in the fall of 1980 and the show flopped. It was a completely panned experience. And um, he's calling on her experiences on the show at the very beginning of the film to kind of give this whole early segment kind of some real life. And he's tortured by his work and he's stressed by his work and he is like overwhelmed by it. And his whole life changes one day when he goes to a doctor. There's, again, this beautiful scene where he's having problems with his hearing. So he's getting this audiology test. He's raising his left hand and right hand. <laughs> you know, and what ear does he hear this? And what ear, what ear do you hear this? The, the, okay, the, the technician and the doctor leave the room and he sits there and he's like, oh my God, I'm dying. I think I'm right. dying. I have a tumor in my brain. I'm dying. Oh my God. Right. And he's literally like talking in that voice. And it's funny. Um, it's funny <laughs> it's and it's hilarious. sad and it's, it's hilarious. Scary. Right. Yeah. Uh, the doctor comes back and it's like, okay, Mr. Sachs, you're fine. Everything's all right. But it triggers this enormous existential crisis. Right. Mickey goes through. 
and he is tortured by the by his impending doom. Death. Yeah. And sort of what's it all mean? The what does it all mean, it? right? Yeah. And so this is a theme that's in every one of his movies. For God's sake, he has a movie called Love and Death. Right. Right. Um, a funny movie called Love and Death. Right. He touches in Hannah about uh, his his fascinating with death, fascination with death. And Annie Hall, he buys Annie Hall a book called, you know, something in death. It's all yeah. about, you know, what's it all mean? Why are we doing this? What are we here for? All this stuff. Yep. Sorry. Go on. You're doing no, great. no. And so in this film, he, he is confronted with it. We'll, we'll get to the resolution a little bit later on. But he goes through this long series of like attempts to try on different religions, right? Hilariously. And, um, oh yeah. my God. And um, so he 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 thinks about becoming a Harry Krishna. He takes their literature because they're in the park, right? Uh, my dad's my dad's uh, second favorite scene in this movie. Um, he uh, goes to a Christian church, talks to the priest there, and he gives them a whole bunch of literature to read about. And um, he he goes to the store and he brings home a big jar of mayonnaise, which is <laughs> well, my dad, again, my dad thinks is, thought that's the most hilarious scene. Well, you got to remember he's he he gets all the literature from the Catholic priest, and he comes home and he's got a bag and he starts putting this stuff down. Their tracks and a bible or whatever and then pictures of christ and then a giant bottle of man <laughs> and then like a crucifix you know just to top it off so and then my dad's favorite scene which i dearly love um and actually before my dad passed away he showed this exact same behavior so mickey goes to visit his parents uh who are played by marino sullivan and lloyd nolan two great actors just a beautiful gesture by alan um the film the scene is shot in this really interesting way too i could just go on about this forever um and he says to his dad so what does it mean to know that you know you're going to die doesn't it bother you to know you're going to die and his father says to him what do i care what do i what does it matter if i die i die until i die i'm gonna live my life which is literally what my dad told us when he was dealing with his cancer in his last days. And like, so it's like so uh, deeply meaningful to me. At the same time, we see Mickey dealing with his relationships. He's uh, Hannah's ex-husband and he has this complicated relationship with Hannah. Um, He'd gone on a terrible date with Holly, the Diane Weiss character the worst date ever where she's snorting cocaine and he takes her to a, a bar she where they're playing crooner music, right? Right. She takes him to um, uh, CBGB's to see a punk act at the height of punk. Yeah. And, and he's like she, horrified. Can right. Get out he, of here. I right. He can't stand it. She's snorting cocaine. And then he takes her to this jazz bar that is, you know, there's a great line in... Um, uh ted lasso actually where ted lasso says um i'm a big fan of woody allen's movies but i never want to hear him play the clarinet uh-huh. um <laughs> you know and that's sort of like the epitome of him taking diane weiss to the to the jazz crooner bar where it's just so out of step and you know from where she's from and where she's coming from that it's just these you know they are they are oil and water they are two opposite ends of the spectrum as far as who they are as people but they have this relationship and this connection um and the other thing the important thing to know that 
so it all pays off in the end, right? Is there's a really funny scene where oh, I gotta throw I gotta throw in the line. So Holly says, "Don't you just love songs about extraterrestrial life?" And Mickey <laughs> says, "Not if they're sung by extraterrestrials." <laughs> There's this scene early on where they flash back and they show um, uh, Mickey's marriage with um, with Hannah, played by uh, Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow, and he has two Asian children. And you're like, "What is this about?" And one of them is Sunyi Previn. It's not Sunyi, that that matters, yeah. but anyhow. He has these two Asian children that obviously clearly were adopted, but later you find out he's uh, unable to have children, or so he's told by the doctor, he's infertile. And so they adopt these two kids. They have a surrogate, right? Is Yeah, the surrogate's his best friend. The right. same guy who moved to LA in Hannah. Or oh, right, in, right, in right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but anyhow, so they adopt these two these two children. They don't go through the surrogacy, but it's this idea that you know Mia Farrow has I think eight or nine children. Yeah. Um, some adopted and some natural her natural children or all her children. But anyhow, so there's this whole idea that is I don't want to call it a throwaway line, but by the time you get to the crusher at the end, you definitely forgot about the fact that he can't have children and that he's infertile and that he and Hannah were never able to have children. The other thing that's important about Hannah and her sisters is it's again, um, Broadway Danny Rose has a better one, but Hannah and her sisters has the much more nuanced, the more subtle one, which is it operates around a certain timetable around two Thanksgiving dinners yeah. that, that bookend the movie. Woody Allen, big fan of bookends, smart storytelling. Um, and so the one thing that I was going to say, I was saying about Manhattan before Jason, I, I think I lost my train of thought, which was, oh, yeah, go ahead. no, 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 that it's all about craft and I'm a craft person and the craft of the movies and the craft is very high in all Woody Allen movies that we've talked about Manhattan, Annie Hall, you know, Gordon Willis, all these names we've thrown at you. And, but the other thing is Woody Allen movies make you feel something, which is the one thing that I sometimes have to remind myself about which is all the craft is great. The prettiness of the shots are wonderful and you can geek out on that stuff all you want. But if the movie doesn't make you feel something, it didn't do its job. That's what, mm -hmm. and, and Hannah and her sisters among all of them makes you feel something because it is capital M mature grown up storytelling for all its parts and pieces and interconnectedness and relationships and you know, humor and whatever, it it makes you feel something, certainly throughout the movie, but definitely in the end. So, okay. Well, and, and I think the reason why it does is because he, um, for one of the rare times, puts us inside his character's heads. And we hear them monologuing about their feelings, right? Elliot's uh, uh, looking at yeah. Lee and he's like, oh, she's so beautiful. I can't take my eyes off her. She's she's incredible, um, and we just feel this this raw emotion. We hear this raw emotion coming yeah. out of it. At the same time, like they're they're cracking jokes too. So everything kind of becomes this this incredibly uh, enjoyable set of scenes. But oh, like in, 
none of it's played for laughs. There's no subtitles underneath or anything like that. It's that raw emotion, that human connection that you're yeah. talking about. But there's lots of laughs, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, it's funny. It's funny. I mean, back in the day when I saw this in the theater, there's the the rant from Elliot. So Elliot's living with Lee. Um, and um, they have this really kind of he's he's kind of pretentious and he treats her like he, she's a student and he says you know it's been ages since I sat in front of the TV just changing the channels to find something you see the whole culture Nazis deodorant salesmen wrestlers beauty contests the talk show could you mind can you imagine the level of mind that watches wrestling hmm? but the worst are the fundamentalist preachers third-rate con men telling the poor suckers that watch them that they speak for Jesus and to please send in money 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 if jesus came back and saw what was being done in his name he'd never stop throwing up <laughs> yeah, yeah. can't tell me that's not like a great lie oh my god that's max Vancito's character right that's, that's the max Vancito yeah. character yeah 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 and again you know the the bergman influence again you know woody allen gets to yeah. work with bergman's guy max von Sydow, um you know the night in uh oh boy ah oh, sorry anyhow <laughs> so the night the night you know who i'm talking about um oh yeah yeah i, I haven't it, seen that but i know the film yeah right 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 yeah and so this is the guy who's delivering this line the line you just quoted is you know stands for all that idea of of um you know the modern world versus you know what people believe in their personal lives and you know this old-fashioned world this the european world if you will the old world and you know sort of delivered in this way that is just you know cuts right to the quick there's no there's no wondering one way or the other what yeah. that character thinks or what alan thinks of you know television and uh you know, popular culture and all that stuff, it, you know, total contempt for it. Contempt, but yeah, at the same time, there's so many lines in this film that are all about like people just being lost in themselves, not being, for all their intellectualism, they're not able to control their emotions or thoughts or feelings, right? I mean, Eliot mm -hmm. has this line where he says, for all my education, accomplishments, and so-called wisdom, I can't fathom my own heart, right? And, and um, Mickey himself says, you know, um, the heart knows what the heart wants, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I, you know, one of the criticisms you can lay at Annie Hall is that it's a little intellectual, but this film is not intellectual. As you're saying, it's so much about the emotions, the head and the heart tied together and the connections and the people all together. And the more you dig into it, the more you think about it, the more you play with the ideas here, uh, the more you kind of feel this kind of, deeper connections and so in the end it, i feel like the film also reaches out to the audience to ask you to make a connection to it and right. so in that way it's kind of this very generous film yeah because the other thing about annie hall and of course um you can edit this in jason i was talking about the seventh seal max von seventh, Sydow yeah, that's and, right. and ingmar bergman of course we both know what i meant when i said it and it was talking about it and couldn't come up with the name the name was the seventh seal Mm -hmm. anyway um man hannah and her sisters is a great example of the audience is a part of filmmaking there's 
the writer and the director who come up with the idea and how it's going to all go together and all the craft people. And then there's the actors who perform it and act it out on the, on the screen or in the stage or whatever. But that third part of any movie is the audience and the making you feel something and making it all make sense. The director makes a statement and Woody Allen clearly makes a statement, but yeah, Hannah and her sisters doesn't, isn't as as transcendent as it is, isn't as resplendent as it is without the audience feeling something. And you feel something when you watch this, the story about these people and their lives and how it, how they're all together. Here's the thing that I think is very special about this film. And um, if you watch Succession, it does a very similar thing to what Succession does, where it puts you in the room. Mm -hmm. And mm. the viewer of the film is an observer of things as they're happening. Mm -hmm. One of the things he does in this movie that's fascinating to me, it's always been fascinating to me, is there's lots of scenes where you're in an interior and there's a wall blocking one or more people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's something between you and them as if you're standing next to the characters yeah yeah so when, especially in the dinner so when scenes. mickey when mickey's talking uh, sorry go ahead no i was saying especially in the dinner scenes the two bookend scenes right the beginning and the end there's always right. a wall you're walking or... into the room or walking yep. out of the room or looking yep. around the room there's the in the scenes where he's talking to his parents which are beautiful scenes and really funny and so sweet um the other oh my god they're uh I, I, I don't go out too far off on another tangent. Well, the uh, other thing too but, um, is that they're, they're apartments. They're these New York apartments yeah, the New that York are apartments. almost like rabbit warrens. And they're so, you, you, you feel, this is a great point because you feel that you're in that space, especially with the dinner scenes at the beginning and the end. Michael Caine, who is this huge, tall man, is, you know, sort of squished into these doorways constantly in these doorways and you're in and out and there's people in your face and it's like that family the jewish family that you see in any hall that's talking over each other and on top of each other and everything like that but this time they're a little bit they're not so far removed from that family but they're so much a part still of them go ahead uh keep going so so you get this wonderful sense of you know, you were talking about Alan and his, the period of his films and how Annie Hall and Hannah and her sisters are the bookends of sort of the beginning and the end of this period in, in Alan's filmmaking. And those same ideas of the interior of the spaces and, you know, his, his father in the movie is playing the piano, his mother is singing, the camera pans over and there's Michael Caine and Mia Farrow, you know, crunched into the doorway, listening to them. And he's noticing Lee across the room. And you get this whole sense of how connected everything is. And you are a member of the family. You are at, you are at that Thanksgiving dinner as an observer. And it's a great point, Jason. Yeah, because you are, yeah, you're actually crammed into the apartment. The, the other scene I think of uh, along those same lines is, um, when Hannah, Lee, and Holly are all eating together at the yeah, restaurant, the dinner scene, very uncomfortable uh, scene where they're eating together too, because they're all kind of ripping on each other. They're all yep. kind of um, acting like sisters, right? Um, yep. At this Family. by this point, um, Lee had started her relationship with Elliot, and she's feeling guilty. And we actually see her breaking down and crying on the screen. 
in front of her sister, the woman in front of her she's... sister, and yeah, and and, and you just you, the, no one else understands what she why she's feeling this way. Except the, the camera spins around them. Yeah, yeah, the camera's moving through. It's a three sixty around the table, and then back the other way, and you just see like the emotions and confusion in everybody's faces, and you're like a waiter or someone who has no idea what's happening, but gets that there's some uh, drama. Right. And you're all waiting for, is she going to tell Hannah, is she going to tell her sister that she's having an affair with her husband? Um, because Hannah doesn't ever find out about any of this. Spoilers no. for Hannah and her sisters. Um, but it, the other thing is too, that, that, that 360 camera move around the table while the sisters are having lunch um, is one of those showy moves but it fits with the story. It totally is part of the filmmaking and you know, works perfectly well to tell the story. Um, Tarantino does it several times. He does it in Reservoir Dogs where you know, the camera moves around, everyone's sitting at the table. But this is much more fraught and there's a lot more tension here because you know, it's the whole, is she gonna find out? You know, how is she gonna find out? And later, you hear, there is a sense that even though Hannah never understands what's going on and never really learns the truth about Elliot and, and whatever. And let's just say Elliot is also a stand-in for Woody Allen. Michael Caine would never be confused with Woody Allen, but costuming helps an awful lot. And you get the sense that the Elliot character is someone who is thinking about, about all this. And here's the other thing that we're talking about here, right, is we're talking about relationships, we're talking about marriages, all these things are important to Woody Allen, but so is infidelity. It's not something that is, you know, evil or bad. It's something to be thought about and explored. It's not something I've, I'm going to explore <laughs> or think about, but Woody Allen as the artist is someone who's saying, well, yeah, what about if, you know, you were attracted to your sisters, your wife's sister or yeah. whatever? And it's equally creepy and equally weird, but that's what the artist is there to do is to share these ideas with you. And and um, Michael Caine acts out a lot of those. He's impetuous. There's a scene where he just goes ahead and kisses Lee mm -hmm. to declare his love to her, this incredibly stupid but romantic gesture. And he just does it without sort of, he thinks about it, love you know, you, Lee. I've always been in love with you. I've always loved. Yes. Yes. I've always loved you. And he just does it. And he does it when her husband, his brother-in-law is literally in the next room yeah. and, you know, trying to, trying to convince some rube uh, not to buy his art. <laughs> but this is, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is, this infidelity has consequences. It does. It's yeah. not. It's not completely. It's not free fun. because yeah. they're tortured by it. Yeah, they feel the pain of it. Right. They know that they're doing. They know that they're wrong, and they right. know there the really is pain. Yeah. that's why Lee breaks down in in that scene, and she wants to break it up pretty early on. There's the the scene where he's chasing her through the streets. Oh my and god! She's like, yeah, I, she's on her way to the dentist, scene. and he finds her, and he or he's waiting for her. <laughs> Yeah, kind of he tracks her, her around the block. Yeah, yeah, tracks yeah. her around the block, and yeah, exactly. Um, and she basically runs away. You right. know, uh, she's on her way to the dentist. She's like, uh, "Yeah, I can't talk now. I have to get my teeth cleaned." Yeah, 
But this uh, is all that idea of working out these feelings, working out these complex emotions, these human emotions of what it means to love someone, what it means to love someone else while you're loving the person that you're with. And it's not about right or wrong, um, but it is very moralistic because you're right. As much as they, they're not just fucking around to fuck around. They, they, they have emotions tied to it. They have thoughts tied to it. History. And it's all very history. Uh, you know, again, comes back to relationships. You said it. Yeah. 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 And that's what gives this film a, a better, a deeper sense of impact than Manhattan, for example. Right. Is that there is a right. sense of kind of lasting impact, right? Manhattan's the flirt. This yeah. Is, great point. This, this is, is the, the movie that's a, that really plays up the impact on things. Right. Right. Um, More and, than and, just the flirtation. It's a love affair. The movie just like, by the end, um, I guess I can. Uh, it, it falls into place, uh, and so okay. I want to I want to talk about that in a moment. But I want to say this all happens on top of everything else that's that's going on in the film. Mickey's existential crisis, yep. the uh, the uh, relationships that Mickey's having with with each of the sisters, um, the growth of all the different characters along the way. So this has got so much going on. It's it's spinning so many plates, and they all stay in the air in the right ways. Yeah. Mickey's goes through this enormous crisis in his life and resolves this in the way that I've found to be like maybe the maybe the most beautiful moment of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, certainly. How's that for, uh, how's that for a superlative? <laughs> certainly just a moment that just knocks you on your ass and just, you know, a perfect ending. And and again, that idea coming back to um Tracy, you know, you've 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 got to have, you know, you've got to hope that these people are are are, you know, not everyone's horrible. You know, you've got to believe in people. You've got to believe in human beings. Yeah. They're worth believing in. Well, you got to believe in yourself. You got to really become more truly yourself in order to deserve love. And yeah. I think that's the key here, right? Mickey yep. is infertile he because he has never truly been in love in love or happy or knowing himself yeah right he's knowing tried himself. to fit, tried to fit himself in a different box but once he finds the right box all of a sudden his life changes and he has to go through this enormous existential crisis right so he quit the job at the at the network he's uh gone through his his quest right <laughs> for religious belief for religious and, yep. truth and reality yeah um you know he he's and he's bought a gun right yeah and, I, for, and then I forgot that yeah yeah and there's this att suicide attempt to, to the to me this is this is the 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 whole key to the film uh one day a month ago i really hit bottom he says i felt like in a godless universe i did not want to go on living so he buys the rifle and then he presses it to his head and he thinks to himself what if i'm wrong what if there is a god i mean nobody really knows that but then i thought no, you know, maybe he isn't good enough. I really want certainty or nothing. Mm -hmm. And he holds it, holds the gun to his head and he's debating it. And all of a sudden, bang, the gun goes off. Like he accidentally shot it, right? And he, he ran to the door, didn't know what to do. You hear all this pandemonium. He just starts wandering the streets. He wanders the streets for hours, he says. I didn't right. know where to go, didn't know what to do. Finally, he wanders into a, a theater that's playing an old Marx Brothers movie. Coconuts, I believe, or um, I thought it's duck soup. But duck soup. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, and he sits there, and 
yeah, he says, I'm watching these people up on the screen. I start getting hooked on the film, you know? And I started to feel, how can you even think of killing yourself? I mean, isn't it so stupid? I mean, look at the people up on the screen, you know? They're really funny. And, and, and what if the worst is true? What if there is no God? You only go around once and that's it. Well, you know, don't you want to be part of that experience? Right. It's, it's not all a drag. Uh, and I realized, I think to myself, I should stop ruining my life, searching for answers I'm never going to get and just enjoy it while it lasts. And, you know, after, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe there is something. Nobody really knows. I know, I know maybe it's a slim read to hang your whole life on, but it's the best we have. Then I started to sit back and I actually began to enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about this before, Keith, but I, 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 to me, this scene like encapsulates like the true, the, this is this, okay. It's the growth this character has. It's the uh, breaking through of his, for him to become more self-realized as himself, but it's also like so true to um, Alan as a person, to yep. a core belief of yourself as a person. And, and like this embrace of art as this nurturing place that's going to be something that's going to enrich your life and bring you happiness in this kind of very profound way that can't be um, reached in any other way. Right. And I just find it so moving that he goes through this crisis and finds joy in something outside of himself. And through that, then we get to the the perfect ending to me. You know, as you said, he is he's uh infertile he can't have babies right and then um he comes to the end and you know he's he's talking to holly and he says you know i was talking to your father before his, his, telling now his wife yeah who's now his wife they've gotten yeah. married yeah the, the, the series of perfect dates yeah oh, no, no i sorry i'm skipping over the most important one of the most important things so Holly had had a very kind of complicated, dysfunctional relationship with oh, an old right. boyfriend who was crazy, who right. attacked her coming out of the bushes. And she wrote a play about it. And she right. kind of impulsively invites Mickey over to read him the play. I love this line. He says, I've been reading, I've been reading for 25 years. I can read to myself. Just such a <laughs> cute line. But she comes over and he reads the play and he's like stunned by it. It's a little hard to tell in the moment whether he's actually stunned or just, um, being jealous or yeah cute to her i think he's actually stunned mm. um and they become this couple and they become this kind of cup that he's he's kind of come to embrace art he's found this person who's an artist now he's really found his true partner yep um he used to have thanksgiving with hannah and never thought i could love anybody else and here it is years later and they married to you and completely in love with you Yep. Uh, by the way, this is my wife loves this movie too. And this is the one scene she hates because Mickey stands behind um, Holly and he's kissing her all over, all over her neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, something yeah. Lisa hates. Like, <laughs> in this, uh, this this line we were texting to each other the heart is a very, very resilient muscle. It really is. Right. It makes a great story, I think. Guy marries one sister, doesn't work out. Many years later, he marries, he winds up married to the other. It is, you know. How are you going to top that? Hmm. She says, Mickey, what? She I'm says, pregnant. I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, and it's just like this perfect conclusion. Yeah. I think it's one of the roll credits. It's one of the 10 best movie conclusion, concluding lines ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a to stunner me, it's, and it, it hits it's you. Like, it, it's like a, you know, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship kind of line. 
And the other thing that's interesting is, and maybe this was why Lisa doesn't like it so much, is it's shot, again, talking about craft, it's shot so that the camera is behind the Diane Weist character and you see Woody Allen's reflection in the mirror. And prior to, in the suicide scene you were talking about, when the gun goes off, it shoots the mirror. Mirrors, mirrors and yeah. um, are, are, are very important in this movie and yeah. reflections and all that. And, and again, it's the same thing with Woody Allen. It's all these different personas and all these different people that, that are out there, you know, that, that, you know, it's a very good, um, very much in line with Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and that, you know, different faces that we show to different people. And, you know, when he finally delivers that line, the camera has pulled back and you see him as he is. And that's when she delivers that final line and says that, and then, you know, roll credits. Um, And it's, and it's, even if you know, it's coming, even if you've seen it before, it's, it hits just as hard every single time. It's, it's amazing. I wish I can, I wish I could convey how great this movie is. Because to me, this is really kind of a perfect film. Yeah, it's the epitome of filmmaking. It's also one of these movies that I'm glad it came out when it came out because I'm not saying that Hannah and Her Sisters couldn't be made today, but Hannah and Her Sisters is one of those, could it be a Netflix series? No. Could it be a 10-part Netflix series? Oh, absolutely. You'd follow all the different... There's enough characters and there's enough storylines and things like that but to tell it in this compressed tight it's not long i think hannah or sisters is is it it's not 90 minutes but it can't be much more than 100 it's a, it's a longer movie is it is it two him. hours one second i i was actually just curious yeah 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 that up. Uh, come on, but fast. but it's this amazing novel you know and here's the other beauty of woody allen movies is they have endings they have very set beginnings. 107 minutes. Okay, 107 minutes. That's not much. And in 107 minutes, it does an awful lot of work and gives you a beginning, a middle, and end. Classic three-act structure, classic movie storytelling that works very well. That, yes, in a 10-part, you know, or... Netflix series would work just as well. I can't believe they haven't thought about it yet or remaking it or whatever. But, you know, that's the other beauty of Hannah and her sisters is it's complete. And you have this feeling. It's this gem that just is perfect as it is. You know, I don't necessarily need to spend more time with these characters. I don't need to see deleted scenes with these characters because I've seen everything I need from these characters. Yep. This is all crystallized in this as its perfect length to me yeah the filmmaker right? it's got the shows comedy it's got know. the character stuff it's even got you know little moments with julie lee dreyfus oh uh, yeah julie john Tatoro. joanna gleason is great john Turturro, daniel stern lewis yeah, black are all these like very small supporting characters yep. all contribute huge amounts to this film yep yep yeah it's, it's it's perfect it's so alive it's just so rich and alive. It feels like this three-hour epic that flies by in like 30 minutes. Yeah, it really does. It's really one of those, you can't believe it goes by as quick as it goes by. 
and you know and it's got all this other stuff like when you were mentioning the Hare Krishnas you're like oh yeah I forgot that's in this movie too you know it's just a small little you know it's 90 seconds but it's 90 seconds of you know that keeps building on all of this and then all the pieces come together and it's got those incredible bravura moves of the family in the dinner, the mom and dad, the scene with the parents where he says he's giving up Judaism, he's going to become Catholic, and all this other stuff. And it is, it's an amazing movie. It's absolutely an amazing movie. So we've gone long. <laughs> yeah. What else? We didn't is even new? really touch on uh, Broadway Danny Rose. Broadway Danny Rose. Um, I'd love to talk about crimes and misdemeanors too, which uh, I would throw one thing, I would throw one thing out there since you know we have gone long. Um, if, if you're like, look, I don't want to see Annie Hall. I don't want to see Woody Allen, you know, doing his Woody Allen thing. The movie I would recommend as, as an entry point is Broadway Danny Rose for the simple fact that it's Woody Allen as, as, uh, as a very lovable character to say the least. Broadway Danny Rose is a talent agent, a Broadway talent agent for, you know, sort of these really fringy, you know, yeah, fifth rate performers, one-armed, you know, tap dancers and, you know, sort of everything from Todd Browning's Freaks. Um, But it's just a charming movie. Mia Farrow plays the lead. You won't recognize her in the movie. And it's just a lot of fun. It's just incredibly fun. And it is uh, bookended again by this wonderful device in which these New York Jewish comedians are telling stories. And someone says, did I ever tell you the one about Broadway Danny Rose? And then the (laughs) movie unfolds from there. More importantly is you have a connection to Broadway Danny Rose, Jason. My great uncle is in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So maybe we could revisit, maybe we'll do another episode on, on <laughs> we, were, we were throwing out some other ideas also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can talk about Broadway Danny Rose. You can talk about some other stuff. Um, but again, sort of, you know, not that I have the last word, but um, <laughs> don't let Woody Allen, the man, distract you from Woody Allen, the filmmaker, because the, even that concept, that idea that he's playing a character named Woody Allen, you know, 1970, that's really forward thinking. Well, you know, he, he's playing my aunt Mickey Sachs. So uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And by the time it rolls around, it does roll around to Seinfeld, where we sort of just accept that Jerry is playing a character. He's yeah. not really it's not autobiograph- autobiographical. Woody Allen's been doing this thing for, for 20, 30 years before that. So, you know, I'm going to say, you know, you, you may have your feelings about Woody Allen. Uh, and I can certainly appreciate that. We all have our feelings. And I don't want to denigrate them in any way. Nope. I can't listen to Michael Jackson's music. I just can't. I just can't. And if you just can't watch Woody Allen movies, that's, uh, that's entirely your choice. And I respect you for that. Um, I still find a lot that moves me as a person. Mm-hmm. And I, I, feel like I can separate myself from the creator but you know it's something I wrestle with yeah you would know if you ever hung out with Keith and me (laughs) because it always comes up not that we're hard to not that we're uh challenging to separate the art from the artists but (laughs) but I would like uh, to talk about his movies some more because there's a lot more to, to mine from them yeah definitely definitely 
Thank you. Watch Keith. Broadway, Danny Rose. Thank oh you, my Jason. God. Watch Hannah and her sisters. It's, <laughs> it's the greatest movie. Um, in fact, I might go rewatch it again. <laughs> All right, cut it right there. So watch Hannah and her sisters.